Welcome to an LTFC Studio Production. Episode 2, Overcoming Giants, Part 2. This was recorded September 3rd, 2017, with Pastor Ron Robinson. This week, I kind of wanted to get into talking uh, specifically about some of the giants that we face, um, some that Joshua and the Israelites faced, and then how they apply to us today. So there's a lot of material here, and I just kind of want to jump in because I'm also sensing that I believe the Lord would have us um, do something else here at the end. So... um, I'll try to get through this. <laughs> Our introduction last week was basically uh, uh, chapter one of Joshua, and um, just kind of talking about you know Moses being a great figure, great man of faith, obedient to God. But I mean a big figure in terms of someone to look up to and uh, want to try and emulate um, in certain respects. Moses was that kind of a a person, especially if you were in the church and maybe you were um, in the clergy, all right, the Levitical uh, part of the church, the priests, you would look up to. Uh, Moses and respect him. Well, as you know, it came to uh, his time when God said, Moses, you've taken us to the edge of the promised land, but because because you stepped out ahead of me, because you didn't do what I asked you to do, even though I'm pleased with everything else, you're not going to be able to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And so he comes to that point in his life where he's had a blessed life. He's spoken into the lives of many people. And God says, it's now time to come home. So he goes to the mountain. And then God speaks to Joshua and says, Joshua, get up. It's time. It's time for you to lead my people into the promised land. That brings us up to chapter 2, and I believe, I think I'm right, it's page 608 in your pew Bible. If you want to just kind of follow along, if you have your own Bible, I encourage you to bring it, whether it's on your smartphone or just the hardback cover, I encourage you to start bringing your Bible. It's just good to get used to flipping in your Bible, learning where the various books are. Um, So, 208, okay, 208, thank you. 
Well, this leads us up to chapter 2. Chapter 2 is very reminiscent of, again, Moses back in Numbers um, 13, where Moses sends spies into the land to check it out, one from every tribe. Here we see Joshua sends spies from Acacia Grove, or there's another term in your Bible, but I'm not going to attempt to read that up here. Um, this is east of the Jordan, just opposite of Jericho. And uh, so Joshua sends in these spies, and um, this time it's not for them to come back and report to everybody. These spies are to come back and to report to him and to report to him the, the good news of what they see. That leads us then into uh, the spies hiding at Rahab's place, and there's so much in all of that, um, but that's not where I want to go today, so I'm going to kind of skip over that. We, we then come into chapter 3 where Joshua and Israel uh, cross over the river Jordan, and in verse... Five of chapter 3, we see um, the words sanctify yourself, or in the NIV, um, it reads, um, let me find it here, consecrate yourself, okay? Same thing. It means to separate from anything unclean, to devote themselves wholly to God. That's probably one of the very first things we need to be aware of when we look at and apply the message of what we're reading in today's um, understanding or life application way. If we want to expect God to do great things in and through us, we have to first sanctify ourselves. We have to, and we can't do that we can invite the Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. We can say, Father, I've accepted you as Lord of my life, but now I choose to separate myself from the things of this world. I don't want to mimic what this world, you know, chooses to teach. I want to be set apart. And I know that means that I'm going to look different. I'm going to act differently. And, um, you know, that's very contrary to what the message of this world is all about. And it makes it extremely difficult in our lives, especially when we see the people we know wrapped up in all kinds of things, lifestyles, people that maybe we respect and after a while, when we're in that over and over again, it works on us, and we begin to think, you know, so-and-so's doing this, so-and-so's doing that. You know, it's not going to hurt. It's okay. It's accepted. But that is not what God calls us to be about. If we want to expect great things... In our lives, we have to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to set us apart, and he will do that as we say, Lord, I'm all yours. I'm going to follow you no matter what. 
that leads us then into Joshua chapter 4. And uh, there's several places where we see memorials being built. There's a lot of symbolism in that. And the symbolism basically is to be a reminder to constantly bring back to everyone's remembrance. You could say that communion, you could say that baptism are those exercises, those um, things that Jesus talked about that we should do and practice often. Why? To to make us mindful of the meeting, the significance of what God has done for us, what Christ did for us in dying on the cross, redeeming us. Um, And so Joshua chapter 4 is talking about that. They cross over, remember the Jordan. And what was so significant about it Uh, This is, again, there's another parallel. Moses leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Remember the Red Sea? Moses prays and God parts the waters and they cross on dry ground. Here we see it happening again in Joshua. And uh, what's so remarkable about this is the time of the year when this occurred. Spring, uh, this would have been about springtime when the Jordan was just overflowing its banks, okay, and would be more than a mile across at, at points. And um, so here we see God speaking through Moses and um, commissioning the priest to step into the water. And as soon as they do, the waters back up and, and the Israelites cross on dry ground. You know, what's unique about that, I think, too, is the fact that um, God could have done something differently. But I believe he wanted to solidify in the people's minds that Joshua, like Moses, was God's appointed ambassador, God's leader um, to lead the nation of Israel into um, the promised land. And so I believe he used similar things so that the people would identify with that. And I believe God uses many things in our lives to help us identify uh, with what we go through in our lives too what he wants us to understand about who he is and what he means to us. Then we go into Joshua 5, and I'm going to stop skipping here in a minute. I'm almost to the point where I want to read, all right? The Lord commands Joshua to circumcise the sons of Israel again. First read, we might think, why would he be doing that? You know, they've already gone through this once. Um, remember back in Deuteronomy 36, um, or uh, I'm sorry, back in in Numbers again, actually Exodus, I believe, um, where Moses is uh, told to um, circumcise, or Abraham, I'm getting my people all mixed up, I'm sorry, to circumcise um, Abraham. 
the sons or the men, all right? And, and then here we see this being repeated again, all right? And the reason being, remember they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years where all those that were circumcised, all those that were uh, set apart had died off because of their unbelief. And so now as the males grew up from young boys into men, it was now time for them to, again, be circumcised, to be people in covenant with God. Just really important, all right? Then we were led into the celebration of the Passover on the plains of Jericho as they've crossed over before they begin um, to um, overtake Jericho. They celebrate the Passover. Uh, interesting parallel, just like when they left Egypt, remember? Um, they celebrated the Passover at that time. God getting ready to lead them into the promised land, but because of their unbelief, they were not able to possess it. God gives them another chance, and, and they begin with the Passover, uh, recognizing and praising God that he, his blood, purifies us. Then we get into um, the latter part of chapter 5 or the middle part of chapter 5 where because they've entered into Canaan now, the promised land, all of a sudden the food that they've been used to receiving every morning, remember what that is, the manna? It stops. No longer do they receive or eat manna because now they are able to eat the fruits of the land. Yes, they have to work it, just like God promises us things in our lives, but we have to work for it. We have to go for it. We have to step out in faith believing, and God will meet us there. And then the latter part of chapter 5, we see where the commander of God's army instructs Joshua in verse 14, Joshua falls on his face. Why? Because he recognize, recognizes that the commander is mightier than he. This commander being none other than God, but in another form that possibly could have been him, but as an angel. Anyway, he instructs, Joshua to take off his sandals, much like he told Moses. Remember in front of the burning bush, take off your sandals. Um, you're standing on holy ground. So many parallels through all of this. God, the God we serve, is a God of the second chance. Hallelujah. And that leads us up to one of the giants that I want to talk about today. And that's found in chapter 6. Here's the story of Jericho. I'm not going to take time to read it because you know it well. 
we see the picture of the nation of Israel. Maybe about 40,000 men, all right, warriors ahead of the priests. And they're circling each day around Jericho one time. And while they're circling, the priests are blowing the ram's horns. And then on the seventh day, they go around Jericho seven times doing the same thing. But on the seventh lap, of course, Joshua had already given them instruction that on that seventh round, when they heard the priest blow their ram's horns, that they were to shout. Shout to the glory of God. Shout because God promised that they would conquer Jericho. Now, before I go any further, you got to understand something about Jericho. Jericho was located in um, the lower region. Um, it's, there is a little bit of a hilly area there, but are also um, Jericho itself, the walled city, um, serviced the people that surround it. Um, Jericho. Most of them worked the fields, the, the lowlands. In fact, that's what Jericho was all about. It was, these people were called the Canaanites, all right? And um, anyway, Joshua, here we see, um, well, let me, I think I need to turn my slide. <laughs> Yes. So here we see Joshua giving instruction, and I think this is so important that I wanted to stress that today. And this was the instruction that Joshua gave his people. It was God's strategy revealed to, to Joshua, and that was they were to walk. First of all, they were to wait. Wait until... It was time. Then they were to walk around Jericho. And while they were walking around Jericho, they were not to talk. They were to be silent. At first, read that might seem kind of strange. Why would they be quiet, you know, and, and going around? Well, I believe the significance was great. I believe God wanted the nation of Israel to be quiet, to be reminiscent of the 40 years that they had to wander in the desert because they did not believe, because they murmured, because they talked, they complained about the fact that they couldn't take the promised land. There were giants in the land. And so this time they were instructed to wait to be reflective, to remember what they've gone through as a result of their unbelief. Kind of reminds me of a time 
life. When I was, um, I'd been teaching public school for a while. I actually thought I was going to do that the rest of my life. I loved it. But in the background, I knew the Lord was calling me into administration, some form of administration. I didn't know what. I figured it would be an education. So I pursued that, did my graduate work in that area. But in the course of all of that, I was still involved in teaching in school. I'd applied for... Uh, a principalship in East Canton, Ohio, that didn't work out. It didn't materialize, and I had all the right people pulling for me, those with great affluence in the community uh, in Canton. Um, they said, you're going to get it, and, uh, but it wasn't in God's plan. I didn't get it, this, this principalship. I found out why later, but the main point of all of that was I didn't get it because God wanted me to learn some things first. The first thing I remember he wanted me to learn, most important thing, was that, Ron, if ever you want to be in leadership, if you ever want to be in management. If you ever want to lead others, you have to know how to lead. You have to, you have to respect those that are already in leadership above you. And this is what I mean. I remember numerous times going into the teacher's lounge on break. There are a number of teachers that I worked with very closely. And every time we'd go in there, it seemed like it wouldn't be long before somebody would be talking about the principal and making wise cracks, um, just degrading comments and trying to be funny and cute. I didn't say uh, comments like that, but I did find myself on occasion laughing along with the others. One morning, I was in the lounge. And I just heard the Lord say, Ron, if ever you want to lead, if ever you want to be in leadership, you need to learn how to respect the leadership you're under. And I right then felt convicted. I got up and left the teacher's lounge and I went back to my room. And I stopped going to the teacher's lounge for a while. And then I started back to that, but I've, whenever that would begin, I'd just get up and leave. Of course, ask God to forgive me. And it wasn't long after all of that that I saw that the Lord began to restore things to me. And he began to release other opportunities to me. My principal sought me out and said, Ron, I see that, 
I know that you're pursuing administration, school administration. He said, I just want you to know, I'm here. I'll be happy to show you anything, talk with you, kind of, you know, give you the inside on a lot of that. And uh, he was a great leader. And I just felt that the Lord was just affirming what he saw me doing in my own life along that line. Joshua instructed the people, look, if you want to inherit this land, then you've got to think positively. You've got to know your God. You've got to cut out the murmuring. And the only way you're going to do that is to reflect on him, to praise him, to acknowledge him, to walk, to wait, to not talk, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives. Because when we do that, we learn to recognize his voice. We learn to recognize what he's saying. You see, the Canaanites, Canaanite basically means several things, but to put it in a nutshell, when you think of a Canaanite person, you can think of materialism. Canaanites were, like I said, specifically referred to as people of the lowlands, the plains of Canaan. They were wicked, idolatrous people. They were actually descendants from Noah's grandson, Canaan, who was the son of Ham. And if you remember, in Genesis, Canaan was cursed because uh, Ham was, you know, Noah had gotten drunk on wine, remember? and was undressed, and uh, Ham made fun of his father's nakedness, where the other two brothers, Shem and Japheth, backed in with a blanket to cover up his nakedness. And then when Noah came to later, he cursed his grandson, so to speak. And as a result of that, that nation that grew up under Canaan, the Canaanites, became very wicked. They followed in that same tradition, that same path. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Having possessions and appreciating good things in life is not wrong unless we allow our pursuit of these things to rule our lives. That's what the Canaanites were all about. It was whatever they could get, whatever to satisfy their appetite. And it was all kinds of things evil. 
our focus, our time needs to be in worship, praise, prayer, giving, Bible reading, reflection, memorization, and in serving God and serving others. This first giant, the Canaanites, representing materialism, we've got to be aware of that in our lives. And when we seek God, he will reveal that through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he will, just like he gave Joshua a strategy, he will give us strategy to overcome whatever those circumstances are so we can be set apart so that we can be fully his, so that we will be sanctified, reflectors of Christ, able in every way to receive the promise. Isn't that what you want today? I know that's what I want. The next giant is I, A-I. We're going to read about him and talk about him next week, or not him, the, the um, city-state, all right? Just like Josh, uh, Jericho was a city-state, each run by their own government and ruler. We're going to talk about that next week. We're already out of time, and I just sense like the Lord wants to do something special today. So I want to ask you, if you would, please stand. And as you stand, I, I would ask that you close your eyes and just listen for a moment. I'm not going to take a lot of time here. But I'd like for you to reflect today over this first giant we're talking about, that being the giant of the Canaanites, materialism, being so wrapped up in a desire to want things and a desire that isn't something like, I just want this, but I can't get enough of this. I can't help myself. That's exactly what was reflected in this nation of people. I just sense today that God wants to set some in this congregation today free, free from the hold that the enemy has had on their lives. And maybe I'm talking to you right now. I just want you to know that there is hope. God has already promised you victory. It's the enemy that wants to deceive you today and to cause you to believe that, you know, I just can't help it. There's no way I'm going to be able to stop this, whatever it is. I just can't get enough of whatever it is. I want you to know today that God is more than enough 
Jesus Christ is more than enough, and he wants to set you free. Maybe it's, it's an addiction. I even believe that there are those today that may need a touch of healing. This is all I'm gonna ask you to do in closing. If you would like to be set free today, it's not because of me, it's because of what I believe God is saying that if you come forward, if you seek him today, he's ready to meet you right where? Right where you're at. He wants you to leave today a changed person. So if that's you, while there's no looking around, I encourage you, just walk up to the front here and we're gonna just pray together as we conclude the service, all right? If that's you, don't worry about anyone else. If you need a healing touch today, healing in our minds, our emotions, a physical healing, I encourage you to come forward right now. Jesus. Breathe on me, breath of God, breathe on me. Breathe on me, breath of God. Thank you for joining us for this message from Pastor Run. We hope that this message has helped draw you closer to God. We also hope that you will be able to join us for our Sunday worship as we would love to have you be a part of our church family. Our Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. and Sunday worship starts at 10 a.m. Don't forget to check out our website where you can find our address and our church phone number. The website is trinityfriends.com. Once again, that's trinityfriends.com. While there, feel free to check out the calendar for upcoming church events that are happening as well. And feel free to check out our new Facebook page to stay up to date on all the new activities that are happening as well. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, God bless. Speak to